selling the San Antonio Light during uh, World War II, uh, 1944. My career as a newspaper boy was brief, sporadic, marked by fear and failure. At first I was afraid of being on the street because I had been told the story many times of how my uncle Kiko had gotten killed in 1927 running across the street when he got, and got hit by a truck. And since I had been named after him, I, I thought for sure the same thing would happen to me. The fear kept me from being aggressive in selling papers. I sold papers for Alpha, who was Austin's distributor for the San Antonio Light. She was a, a middle-aged lady who talked and walked like a man, had warts, big reddish bumps all over her body. She wore pants and, and a change bag around her waist always bulging with change. She was patient and fair and very much a, a lady who treated younger boys with motherly affection. To rookie newspaper boys, uh, she would consign the first 10, and once we sold them, we'd pay her for them and buy 10 more, which would net us 50 cents if we sold them all. At times, I wouldn't even sell the first 10, mostly because the light wasn't very popular compared to the Austin American Statesman. The San Antonio Light was a low-key paper with small headlines. It was thick and filled with news. However, it was 90% from San Antonio, which to many Austinites was light years away. Besides, I did not have the inclination to master the art of selling papers. One had to shout and dramatize the news and be able to shove the paper at people, causing them to automatically reach into their pockets for a coin as if they didn't want to be seen by a paper. I would never forget I was selling papers, surrendering to daydreams. Other times I bolted the boredom and the loneliness of standing in a corner and being ignored by all humanity. I would start wandering around, exploring Scarborough buildings uh, where I could write the elevators or going to the downtown movie theaters to check out the frontage with uh, the movies, the pictures of what was showing. First, I would go to the Capitol, which was on 6th Street. Then I would go north on Congress Avenue to the Queen, then to the Paramount, and then the state. And then I would sometimes return to the Paramount again because it was the premier theater. Plus, uh, I had been told several times that our dad, before he died, had been working there part-time doing uh, some of their calligraphy. I suppose uh, if I dug deep enough, I'd remember incidents, feelings, and traumas and disappointments to write about. However, every time I remember my newspaper boy experiences, the person that comes to mind is Mateo Martinez, who was in his late 50s and sold the Austin American. But there was an awesome sight rushing out of the Austin American building, loaded down with about 100 papers and punch with two huge bags and about another 50 under his arms. He'd rush into the streets shouting almost hysterically the headlines of the war. It's out. The latest is out. Read all about it. We got the Japs on the run, 100 planes down, shouting it in such a way 
no one even stopped to think that human beings were inside the planes or that perhaps some of them had killed many of our fighting men as well. There was something about Mateo that was very fierce and awesome as he uh, rushed out into the streets. In fact, every corner of the city was his to peddle papers on. Most of the other newspaper boys didn't like that at all, but Mateo was older and commanded respect of everyone. After all, he had the Austin status behind him. He would often uh, return uh, the nickel uh, to the boys in the corner without even asking them uh, to pay him for it. So he was actually pretty fair about it. My first memory of him was though, when he was when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and I saw him selling papers in the East Side, where no one ever bought papers. He had realized the tragic and historical significance of the event, had taken off running from the office of the American statesman, determined to announce to sleepy East Side the beginning of a new era. Mateo, like many other entrepreneurs, prospered during the war because the sales of newspapers soared as horribly destructive wars raged in the Pacific and in Europe. Sleepy, Austin conservative historical city, seat of the Lone Star State government, suddenly became a thriving city, a city full of employment benefiting from the nearby presence of Army and Air Force bases. Prior to Pearl Harbor, the Austin schools had focused on the legendary war stories of Texas, mainly the stories of the Alamo and San Jacinto, while in the Chicano barrios, uh, stories and songs of the Mexican Revolution were still very much alive. But when the war came, attention was drawn away from both Texas and Mexican history. Before before Pearl Harbor, most people could not even bring themselves to spend a hard-earned nickel on a newspaper that reported questionable stories about how local, state, and federal government were solving the problems of the economy. When the war started, they found themselves with better jobs and were anxious to read about the catastrophic events in the Pacific and in Europe and hordes of soldiers invaded Austin during weekends, searching for pleasure, tasting their final days of stateside of existence before going to the war. Since there weren't too many thrills to be found in Austin, many had to settle for a few beers or for the latest news in the war. The surge in newspaper sales forced Mateo to run faster to shout, more hysterically, for he knew that on every corner he could find the curious and those awed by the raging war, anxiously waiting for the next issue of the American statesman to roll off the press. And which, with each passing year, the war, but of the war, Mateo's shouts grew more hoarse, and content of the headlines grew more tragic. By Mid-1944, the enterprising newspaper, enterprising newspaper salesman paid a terrible price for his prosperity. One of his sons had gotten killed in the Pacific. 
and a profound change took place in him. No one called him goat anymore or resented him. The other paper boys didn't even complain about him claiming every corner in the city. In fact, the Austin establishment officially recognized him as Austin's one of Austin's leading citizens and made it clear that the streets were all his. He didn't have to run as fast anymore, and I'm sure he didn't feel like running fast anymore. People felt obligated to buy the paper from him. It somehow seemed like a way to support the war effort, so they waited to buy the paper from him and give him looks of pity and condolences. He was often seen in the corners crying over the death of his son and crying over the way the world was go- the war was going with so many of our boys dying. When he shouted the news, people were more moved than before. At times he had tears in his eyes as he ran down the street selling the bad news. And he started being real considered with all the newspaper boys. Every time that he would make a sale on somebody else's corner, he would just turn over the nickel to the boy without taking a paper back. Small groups could gather around him and hear him tell of how terrible the wars were. He would end his sermon-like talk by asking everyone to pray for peace so parents would stop losing sons as he had, and he would ask people to pray for the safe return of American boys. Some people found this offensive. Some found it un-American to talk about peace when we had not yet thoroughly and completely licked the enemy. When this view was expressed, he would take out his purple heart and would begin to cry while making it clear how proud he was to be an American because his son had died for America. One day I, I saw him coming around the corner on 7th and Congress where the Stephen F. Austin Hotel was located and he accidentally bumped into a retired Anglo, a permanent resident of the hotel who was, who in a fit of danger, in a fit of anger and irritability shouted, watch where you're going you black Mexican. The man's word stunned Mateo. And he shouted back to him, you crazy fool, you call me a black Mexican. I'm just as American as you are. My people have always been on this land. And then he choked and began to cry uncontrollably. When he recovered, he said with desperation in his voice, you stupid man, I gave my flesh and blood for my country. What have you given besides the hate you have for my people? And And holding the purple heart in his hand, tragically and pathetically said, look, If you don't believe me, this is all I have left of my son. The cranky old man couldn't even make himself say he was sorry or anything. He just growled and mumbled and made his way into the Stephen F. Austin Hotel. Shortly after that, uh, Mateo retired from the streets of downtown Austin to the east side, where with his son's uh, dead son's insurance money, he bought a two-story building with rooms to rent and a small store at the bottom level. Years after, I remember seeing him as I walked by his place on 6th Street on the way to Congress Avenue. He seemed serene, sitting in front of his store, smiling and waving at everyone who saluted him. 
There's another story about Mateo. They say that one day, shortly after the war, he was on a train uh, to San Antonio to visit his daughter. There were two men on the train referring to the war as the good old days and how they missed it. One of them said he was sorry it was over because he was no longer making much money anymore. And it angered him so much that he had to be restrained by by a friend with him to prevent him from throwing the man off the train.